Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see you out on this warm evening. Good to gather together. We are excited to share some things with you. Um, guys, I was thinking the other day when I came to Riverbend, coming up seven years now, um, I don't think there was probably any in the build, anybody in the building who was more ignorant of the Southern Baptist than me. I, I just didn't know. Uh, I didn't understand. I had not really been in any conferences or associations. And so there has been a bit, uh, quite a bit of learning on my part uh, to understand the SBC. At first, uh, you can even ask the pastors that were here when I came, they, they could see my real hesitancy. I just, you know, I had spent so much time hearing a lot of things without understanding stuff. So, and then... Then I got a phone call just a couple of months ago from a dear brother out in the West Coast, pastoring uh, an elder for 20 years, um, been a pastor out there, very similar church of ours, uh, doctrine-wise, everything. And he just said, hey, brother, I, I, I don't get it. Why are you guys in that thing out there? It was really interesting. I said, that kind of sounds like me when I arrived. And he began to dispel so, not dispel, to uh, um, share a ton of misinformation that I said the same things when, when, when before I was here. So I just want to tell the congregation that um, I'm probably the one who has been the most skeptical of everybody <laughs> uh, coming. And so this has been a learning process for me. Um, although, here's the kicker, and I, you need please understand this. My exact questions to the search committee, you know, now, now seven years ago, because we were in this process in July seven years ago, um, is does the SBC have any control over our church? Because that was it. I was like, oh, no, not coming, because I've seen that before. And they said, absolutely not. We're completely autonomous. And they began to say, that was, that was my first understanding of those things. But this dear brother called, and he asked the same list of questions that I asked. And it was, it, as I walked him through uh, what I understood, uh, he, says, he said this, Scott, I'm, I never knew that. I never knew that. I never knew that. He kept saying that. And as I shared the good things and the challenging things of being in a conference, not an association, a conference. Uh, so that was very, very helpful to him. He said, wow, I, I'm going to pray for you guys that God will continue to lead you in that direction. That you've helped me. I'm going to share with my church because they didn't understand that. And, uh, and again, out west, it's not as prob uh, prevalent as it is out here. So just kind of want to set the tone for that. As elders... Uh, we're trying to make decisions for our church that we believe God wants us to do. And one of those decisions we made, we said, we can't be, you know, hearers only in a sense. We got to go. We got to send some men out there, see firsthand what's going on with that. And, and I, I think one of the things that will come out of this tonight is the difference between an eyewitness of a wreck or, or something good that takes place versus a guy 10 miles away who heard about it. There's a huge difference, isn't there? And um, I think I, we really, really want our congregation to understand um, some of the eyewitness things that you saw take place, which will, I, I think, help them understand, uh, you know, why we are at this point hanging on <laughs> and doing what we're doing. So together with Paul and myself and, and Brian, um, we've just put together some questions here that I just want to ask you guys, kind of turn you loose We'll have a conversation. You all get to listen in on this. And let's, let's, let's talk about and answer these. I think these questions will probably answer majority of people's questions. And then after that, you can come talk to us uh, when you're done. I put up on my glasses because I can't see the questions. Um, let's start with this. I think it's important because this is something that these are some of the exact figures that I was sharing with this dear brother because I didn't understand this either. Um, what is the SBC? And what does the SBC do? I think, I think that's a very fundamental question that I think a lot of people just don't even understand. So why don't you guys jump in and answer that question. What, what is the SBC and what, what does the SBC do? This was my, my third national convention that I attended, so I, I was a little prepared for what to expect. Uh, but generally speaking, the SBC consists of 47,000, a little more than 47,000 churches across the United States and international as well. And here in the United States, it um, averages about a weekly attendance of about 4.4 million people every week. 
So when you think of that, it's humongous. It's big and it has broad reaching capabilities. Uh, and the best way to describe the SBC, it's, it's, a, it's a rare thing what we do. Because when most people think of like a convention of churches or a denomination, you think a top-down structure of hierarchy where there's some people that sit around a boardroom, make decisions, doctrinal decisions, whatever, and that filters down to the individual churches. And those individual churches really don't have a whole lot of say in what goes on. They just they have to stay lockstep. That's not the Southern Baptist Convention at all. The best way to describe it, I guess, is that there are 47,000 churches that willingly come together to share management and operation of several nonprofit entities. So we have the International Mission Board, which has about 3,500 missionaries right now. The North American Mission Board, which consists primarily of church planters, although there's other things that they do. Uh, there's about 2,500 church planters across the United States that are part of the North American Mission Board. We have 3,700 chaplains. So if you're not familiar with a chaplain, those are uh, men in the military or people in hospitals that go and visit the sick and do very, some very specific things. Uh, and, and there's various entities that control these things. A- another component of that is the theological education. Seminaries, there are a tremendous number of seminaries that, and seminarians that the Southern Baptist Convention trains. I think I read, uh, Tom Askell gave us that statistic that there's about one-third of all seminary graduates are graduating from a Southern Baptist seminary. So when you understand that context, it's humongous. And the key to understanding it all is the word autonomy, that there is no hierarchy. So it's the, the people that go to these national, the messengers like Paul and myself, Pastor Paul and myself, we go there, we're messengers of Riverbend Community Church. We're messengers that will vote on business, things that come up, uh, different items of business, and we tell them what they're supposed to be doing. They will come back with recommendations on what they want to do or what, what they think they should be doing. But it's up to us to decide whether to carry that out or not. And as we move forward today, we'll talk about some examples where the messengers speak very, very clearly uh, in opposition to some of the recommendations from those that are part of the executive committee. And, you know, they're Baptists. They love their committees, right? So committees and committee on committees and credential committees. So the, the power in the SBC is not at the top. There is no top. The power in the SBC is in individual churches. That we control that direction through influence and working with others, networking with other pastors. Um, and just to kind of give you an overall trajectory of uh, what they do with monies. Now, I want to make very clear first that we do not give money to what they call the cooperative program. The cooperative program, we used to, the cooperative program is this big pot. And so churches can donate to the Southern Baptist Convention what they call the cooperative program. All this money goes in this big pot. And the executive committee takes from this pot and divvies them out to different things, whether it's missions or theological education or just operating expenses. We, we give directly to disaster relief, Southern Baptist direct disaster relief, which we'll talk about a little bit as we go on. But just so you know the emphasis that the convention has on where they want to spend their money, I have a slide with a pie graph, you know, me with the finances and stuff like that. So we have a big pie graph here. And... The budget for the cooperative program was $192 million and $70,000. That's a tremendous amount of money. But then when you look at it, the International Mission Board, they spent 96, about $97 million of that goes to international missions into the hands of missionaries abroad. So that constitutes a little more than 50% of all the money that churches send to the cooperative program goes to international missions. About 23% of that goes to North American missions. And then 22% of of that goes to theological education. There's a small, uh, uh, it's called the uh, Christian Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. They they try to guide us in how to think about cultural issues. And they try to influence lawmakers to make better decisions and whatnot. So only 1.65% goes there. And then... A measly 3% goes to operating costs. So even if a church gave to this big pot called the cooperative program, it's about 95% or a little more than 95% is going to missions and theological education. 
and the rest is going to other things. So not in, to line people's pockets or anything like that. Now, it doesn't really apply to us because we don't give to the cooperative program like we used to. We kind of put the brakes on that when we saw some things going on that gave us some pause in the convention. And we decided to take the money that we would be giving the cooperative program, we now give it directly to the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, which goes directly into their hands to help people that are in tremendous situations. Uh, Pastor Paul will probably talk about this in a little bit, but uh, you remember the tornadoes that went through Kentucky not that long ago? Left a wreck in Kentucky. That's where the, your funds were going, to help people there, churches, building churches back up, helping them spread the gospel into their communities. But I wanted you to at least see that slide to show you, because you know where people put the money gives you an idea of where their heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I look at this and show that the vast majority of the motivation among Southern Baptists is for missions and for theological training. Um, but beyond that... Um, can, can I go back yeah, to please, something back real, that up. real yeah, quick here? And either one of you can jump in on this. Uh, and I, I think people need to hear this. So something you said early on in that <clears throat> conversation is most organizations are top-down. So yes. some Presbyterian... So, uh, Methodist. Methodist. Yeah, there's there's quite a few yeah. that theological and directives are made, and then those churches comply to that. That's right. We, we know that. We've actually seen that. Yeah. Let's, let's restate that. That is not done at all. That's why it's called a, uh, a conference. A convention. A convention, yeah, a convention versus an association. Yeah. Um, I think that's such an important thing. And, and that was something that had to be really clarified to me because I did not know that when I came to my first Southern Baptist church. I thought, oh, man, who's telling this church what to do? Uh, and I probably looked like fairly ignorant when I asked the church committee that. But I, I honestly didn't know. I thought, well, they have some control over it, but they don't. They we really are don't. completely autonomous. In order to do that, all you have to say is that you're in substantial uh, friendly agreement with the Baptist faith and message. That's a statement of faith. And our church's statement of faith is far more robust than, than the Baptist faith and message. Uh, but that Baptist faith and message as a statement of faith is a good statement of faith, yeah. and, and we're in agreement with that. And so to say that you're in, you want to be in the, the term is in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. You have to say that you substantially agree with the Baptist faith and message. That's, that's really it. So we just voluntarily pool our resources under the belief that we can do more when we're unified than we can individually. Especially smaller churches that have limited budgets to be able to give to missionaries and other such projects. Now, if we can combine funds together, we can make a, a greater impact together. That's really the, the thought process of the convention. All right, that's a good answer. What is a SBC and what does SBC do? I think that uh, that was a, a good substantial answer. My next question here would be, and uh, I say this question, what really happened there? And, and let me preface this for a little bit because um, those of us that aren't there, we're seeing videos come out J.D. Greer puts out this video. Turns out it's seven months old. He wasn't even there. Right, right. Um, uh, wretched guy who I really enjoy. I mean, I think this guy's good, but he puts out some very degrading. And wait, he was not there. He wasn't there. And and all and you guys, I think you guys talked about your Twitter feed. I'll let you. I'm gonna take all your thunder. <laughs> but I begin to realize, wait a minute. There's a lot of people who are not advocates of this and yeah. are taking shots. So. I, I, in this section, I want you guys to explain what you experienced there, what you saw there. How did votes go down? How did the, how did the, the messengers respond to things that we wouldn't agree with? Yeah. I, I think our church needs to hear that as you guys shared those with us. So, Paul, what happened there? Let's start with several issues that are on the docket here. So, yeah, you know, what happened there, what I've seen in videos that I've watched since then, and what I saw, what Pastor Brian saw, vastly different. Some are, some are good. Tom Askell has some great videos on what happened that I would agree with. Um, there's a lot of people who are, you know, in these discernment ministries um, that, that really took shots and, and then they'll even put a little, now I wasn't there, but this is what I heard. And you're like, well, then why are you talking? Yeah. Um, it's gossip. Yeah. Right, it <laughs> it's is. gossip. It's gossip. So, yeah. so um, 
there's, there were, man, there's a lot. The first thing we went to is a pastor's conference. So that's kind of a separate thing. It happens before. It's, there, there's a loose affiliation with it, but it's a separate budget, separate thing, separate, you know, uh, altogether. And it's, you know, you had, we went through Colossians. Um, and it was great. They went through the whole book of Colossians. Um, they had, I think. So this is a pre-conference to the. the pre-conference to that. Right. Um, and there was, there was encouraging. There was one message that we did not like, um, but there, was, there were several that were good, and one that was very complimentarian when it talked about husbands and wives, and then they brought that into the pulpit about um, you know, who should be teaching uh, uh, in the pulpit, and they were very complimentarian in that, so we were very encouraged in that. Make sure you explain complimentarian. Uh, sure. Complimentarian, for, uh, basically they, they uh, affirmed that the, while, the, while the worth of women is equal to men, the roles are different. That's right. And so, um, and they were very, uh, very explicit to say that. There's no difference in worth. God, God views and loves equally, but there are different roles that he's given, that he's ordained. Same in the pulpit. While the, while the um, you know, women in the church are, are just as worth and, and um, you know, the roles are different. And so, um, equal you know, equal and dignity, came, equal in worth. Right. And so they, um, roles. Yeah. so they complement the roles. And, and that's, um, that becomes important later because one of the big things that comes up, and we can just deal with this right off the bat, is <laughs> with the women pastors. So what came up is Saddleback Church, I don't know the, the full name, but it, it's the, the one of Pastor Rick Warren, okay? And he's out in California, um, and he is the largest church in the SBC. Um, he made sure to let us all know that, too. <laughs> Humble um, bragging. Humble yeah, bragging. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, um, yeah, that's six minutes I don't get back. But he... <laughs> Um, he went on, and there was a motion last year to disfellowship that church from the SBC because he has ordained women. He has ordained women separately. He ordained three, although he would say commissioned, which I don't know how he parses that out. But then he also, um, the, the people who are to take over his role as pastor, because he is announcing his retirement sometime in the future, the people who are going to take over, he made sure that it was a husband and a wife, but it was made sure to be told that it wasn't just that the wife was there supporting the husband, the wife would be equally involved in the teaching and whatnot. I don't mean to cut you, but just for clarity's sake, with all this going on, so not this convention, but the convention before this, right. the messengers from the churches, the individual churches, made a motion which was overwhelmingly adopted to disfellowship his church because of this. So that, that is the context. So when that happens, it goes, remember, Baptists love their, their committees, right? So it goes to what's called the Credentials Committee. Yeah. The C Credentials Committee determines if a church is in friendly cooperation, meaning that they subscribe to the Baptist faith and message and are walking through with, with Southern Baptist distinctives and principles. So they look at that, and it was their duty to report back to the messengers at this convention. So that's the reason why they had to take the stage and start talking to these issues. Sorry, I just want and to so the, the person who was the head of the credentials committee came on and said they did their investigation. And one of the things that they found is that in several SBC churches, they use the word pastor, um, and they use it for women, but not necessarily women who are in the pulpit or leading, because um, there are several churches that don't have an elder-led church like we do. That's it's a lead pastor and then everyone else. And so, but they would have like a children's pastor who was a woman or a women's pastor who was a woman, um, stuff like that. And so they were like, well, we want to know what the, what pastor means. We'd like to have a commission, start another <laughs> committee of what pastor means. And that is when it all broke open. Oh, yeah. Um, that was a shootout at the OK Club. So that was that was Baptist business. Now, meeting. what you have to understand is, um, and, and uh, Pastor Brian has, um, I think he might have it in his hand, but they have they give you a, a, a program. That's Wednesdays, but so they already had this recommendation written down. So everybody was loaded. People, there's Tuesdays. People were lined up at microphones. They have ten microphones. You can push a button. Um, and there's, you can ag agree with something, disagree with something, ask a question, or a point of order. And so everyone was lined up, and here we go. And so um, the, 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 so many people disagreed. 
People were shouting from the floor. That they had to basically... No, I mean, people yeah. were sitting in their seats. They were even behind the microphones. They're all screaming, no, we know what pastor means. We don't need this. So, they were hitting the gavel, trying to call us to order. It was fun. And there is a little bit, yeah. There is a little bit of, you know, um, strategy involved. Um, and I almost said strategy. But there is some strategy. <laughs> w people out there. All right. So they came on and... <laughs> One person, um, you know, had been standing there, hit the button, but then gave his time to Al Mohler. And so Al Mohler got on to talk. And everyone said, oh, look, that's Al Mohler. Yeah. That's Al Mohler. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he got on. And at first they said that, um, you know, they pushed the wrong button. So they went to someone else and then they came back to Dr. Mohler. Dr. Mohler, and, you know, he has been a little bit soft on some of these issues, or at least he hasn't spoken up. I'll yeah, say that. That's, that's, he hasn't yeah. been soft because he speaks about it on the briefing very clearly with some of these woke issues. But um, at the conventions before, he wouldn't really speak on the floor because he, there's this, like, I don't want to offend people type thing. Well, he got on the floor. He stood up in the middle of it because he was at the front middle microphone. And he said, listen, I was there. I was a part of the committee that put together the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. We put that in there. I can tell you why we use the word pastor. I can tell you what we meant by it. If we have to parse every word in there, then we're not confessional people and we're not Baptists. And that just sent the house down. I mean, everyone started clapping. And so um, that... was very energetic. Between that and then Tom Askell saying, we, we need to stop discussing this, and we just need to go. And then I think somebody called to order, which means I want to vote now. And so that was accepted. And um, they called to order, and it was so overwhelming that the committee, uh, credentialing committee, withdrew their recommendation to start up a committee to figure out what the word pastor meant. <laughs> it was a beautiful thing to see because it shows you that I don't have the exact number of how many churches had representatives there, but there were 8,100 messengers from churches, not including families and whatnot. So there's a lot of people in the house. You know, so you have this large cross-section of Southern Baptist churches that are there speaking very clearly, very, very definitively. We know what pastor means, and it doesn't mean that. It means what the Bible says that it means. And it gave Pastor Paul and myself a lot of encouragement to say, okay, when we're talking about the Southern Baptist Convention, the churches have spoken that, that we're not going to slide into this liberal uh, drift into having women pastors being ordained and whatnot. It was very encouraging to they, me. They shut that down. That we yeah. shut it all down. Yeah. So, so the messengers did. And so, yes, the people on the platform had these questions. And, you know, the fact that we had to even talk about it, you know, is a little bit disturbing. And that's what everyone talks about. Oh, the SBC doesn't know what a pastor is. It's like, well, no, this credentials committee had a question, and then we answered it. And we, we didn't know, we know what it is. <laughs> so, to, so first of all, this thing's in Anaheim. It's yes. in California. Yes. So there's a lot of people who didn't make it Correct. that would be right. on the conservative Correct. side. But So out of the 8,100, 8,200 messengers that are there, could you, could you kind of take a guess, a percentage of, of people that said, absolutely not, a, a pastor is not a woman. Uh, we understand exactly what a pastor is. Could, could you... I'd say at least 95% Probably. of the room. Yeah, yeah there, there was a at couple least. of votes. And, and, but yeah, when they, when they came together and Al Mohler spoke and people stood up and clapped, it was probably like at least 95% were like, we know what this is, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. And it shut it down completely. It shut it down. So much so that they, they didn't push forward with some other things that they wanted to. They, they, want, they want to articulate what they, how they wanted to form the committee, the whole deal. And, and they just they had to withdraw it because... And that's an example of how it's not a top-down structure. Yeah. They came out with a recommendation. And we said, <laughs> we don't like your recommendation. Go back to the drawing board on this. So the motion to disfellowship Saddleback Church is still on the table and must be answered this year. Yeah, this coming so year. It, this, this coming year. It will be answered. Uh, there's no more. Are there other churches? I know the answer is this, but I want you guys. Are there other churches they have disfellowshipped because of this issue? Yeah. Every year. Every year. Every year churches are being They're removing churches because of their yes. lack of complementarian and views. Yeah. That's right, because they're not in substantial agreement with the Baptist faith and message, which yeah. is a conservative document. It's complementarian. It holds to biblical standards of, of sexuality yeah. and gender and all that. So yeah. the rumor that gets floated around, I had to deal with that with this dear brother on the phone, is that SBC is full of liberal churches. 
And we're going to get to the word liberal in yeah. a minute. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Because I know you're chomping at that. And, <laughs> and yet, you guys come back and report to us that that is not the case. No. They, they're, they're, their overwhelming response of the convention was very, what we would call, right. biblically conservative, yeah. hanging on to biblical truth. And what was disheartening is that, that was the moment you and I both had our Twitter feeds up. Right. And he has his people that he follows. I have my people. And, and we were comparing our Twitter feeds. We're looking... Are we at the same convention that they're at? That didn't happen, you know. And it was it was amusing, but at the same time, it was a little disheartening because so much false information is being. You know, I, I mentioned that from the pulpit when I preached. Some men like to watch the world burn. There's this glee that people get when we see things crumble a little bit. And well, I think we're, gonna, we're seeing that. We're going to get to this liberal word because I know you're chomping the bit. Sure. Answer, but a couple more things that happened there that sure. you told us elders in our elder meeting, um, and I'll just give you this one, take it, um, is the commissioning of missionaries. Man, I got to tell you, that was very, um, it was just, it, it was so helpful to my heart. <laughs> there were 52, and I'll say missionary units because it's either an individual or a couple, but 52 of them came up. Uh, they couldn't show their face. They had to put them behind a shadow box, kind of like we have there, um, because they were going to the Middle East, uh, North Africa, and um, uh, Southeast Asia. And as we know, uh, without mentioning names, that is something that we're very familiar with. They can't show their face. They can't know their real name, you know, all of those things, because they won't be allowed in the country or they'll be targeted or anything like that. And so, in the same way, um, they came up and were behind the shadow box. But there are 52 and, and that was pretty awesome. And they to were see. sharing their heart as to how God had called them to that particular field and their burden and desire to reach these people with the gospel. It was so encouraging to see that. Yeah. Their own personal testimonies that, you know, these, these are Muslim strongholds that they're going to and their life is in jeopardy the moment they step into that country. And yet they have this palpable burden and desire for the folks there to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they're willing to jeopardize their lives to do that. That's, that's, the, that's the if, gospel. If know? the SBC crumbled today, or all the conservative churches pulled out, <laughs> yeah. which it seems like the majority now that we're hearing this, I mean, what would that do to missions, to humanitarian? I mean, think about what would go on in this world. Well, you have 3,500 missionaries that would now have to, international missionaries that would have to find different people to sponsor them and would have to go church to church to church right. because so many churches, that's why I love our church that we go full force to missionaries is if, we're, if you're our home missionary, we're going to try to support you 100% of the way or, or as close to that as we can. A lot of, a lot of them don't. A lot of them care about the number that they have. And so it's like here, a little 5%, little 5%, little 5%, you yeah. know. And so right. you probably know you got to do yeah. these rounds. And it's, it's yeah. very difficult rather than can't I just stay on the mission field and give people the gospel. So there'd be 35 international missionaries. There would be less church planners. The chaplains, I mean, these numbers, again, you know, 3,500 international missionaries, really 36 because it's 3,592. Uh, 2,400 North American church planners and 3,700 chaplains would all have to find a different way to get supported. Funded and by $141 million. Yeah. Gone. Plus the yeah. structure that they use. So when some of these missionaries are in these places in North Africa or the Middle East or whatnot, and something happens and they are targeted, much like we've heard from missionaries that, that we know, um, all of a sudden they have a structure where they can get them to a safe house and then they can get them out of the country and they have things that they can do uh, to help these guys out that aren't doable necessarily if you're a small church. How, I mean, who do I know in the Middle East that I can find a safe house? You know, like you just yeah. don't have those contacts yeah. necessarily. And so they offer, it's, it's more than just numbers. It's, it's a whole thing that they give them, a whole structure. So I, before we go into this next thing was where we're kind of supporting. Um, to me, after hearing from you guys and really learning firsthand for myself, because I was ignorant of this as well coming in. Um, if we lose the Southern Baptists to liberalness or it collapses, yeah. it would change the world. Yes. I mean, it really, it, there's that much impact yes. of a, what, 40, almost 48,000 churches around the globe. Yeah. And not, not all of them are, you know, the kind of doctrine maybe we would 
the depth that maybe we would want them to be at, but they affirm yes. the, the Baptist statement of faith. That's and, right. uh, so uh, I, I think that's worth thinking through. And thinking of the one-third of the seminaries, who they're putting out now. What kind of, you know, yeah. what kind of people are we putting out in pastors and churches, you know? And so yeah. it's worth fighting for. Well, something else they did there is they gave some explanation on this, the SEND Relief Fund, where, yeah. where, where we've chosen at this point to put our funds to that allows us to participate. So tell us a little bit about what you saw, because Ukraine's going on. Yeah. There's all kinds of things happening there. Was there an update for that? So... They showed pictures from the North American part where they went in to Kentucky. Um, that hit me a little bit closer to home because I remember when it happened, uh, two of the doctors, or one doctor and one PA that I worked with um, are near that area. They're, they're, they're people they knew were touched by this tornado. And so it was, they showed the pictures of them giving out relief, giving out water bottles, but it wasn't just a water bottle. It was a water bottle with the gospel. Mean, not the, that the gospel was on the water bottle, but they're talking to him, giving him water bottles, and talking to them about the gospel. Mm. That, to me, was like, wow. That's where our money went. Our money went there, and helping people, you got the gospel, and you got relief. Uh, the money we sent to Ukraine through, I think the IMB, we didn't send all of it. We sent a portion of it, because I think we hit like three different agencies. Did, yeah. um, but you see um, the, the people in Moldova. You see the people in Romania. You see those churches. You see those pastors. You see the refugees. These are Christian brothers and sisters who are fleeing from a war, and we have a place for them to be welcomed in another church in another country because they have the infrastructure and the money that was given to them to, to help them. And, and uh, that, that, again, I'm sitting there going, well. That's you, where your giving went to this year. That's, that's where it went. It went, to church, it went to help churches accept refugees, to, to help your brothers and sisters, you know, who are around the world that, mm -hmm. that proclaim the name of Christ. And so, you know, it, it helped there, and it helped people and churches and others in, in Kentucky. And that was just, it was great. And it I experienced was, the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief organization firsthand back in 2004 when I was pastoring down in Fort Pierce, Florida. There were two ladies that came through our town by the name of Hurricanes Francis and Jean and just leveled our town. It, it was just terrible. They both went right through our town. Hurricane or Category 2 and Category 3 uh, within three weeks of each other. And the Southern Baptists were the first people on the ground not just fixing roofs and windows and handing out food. They did those things. But they were, they were sharing the gospel while they did those things. It wasn't an either or. It was a both and. And all of them were trained very well on how to do that. Extremely efficient. And that's where, as, as a church, we send funds to, that, that organization. One of the other issues that you guys brought us up to speed was on, and Brian will ask you this one, because um, there's a little bit of legal stuff in this as well as the care for souls that are really hurt here is the sexual abuse task force recommendations. Um, this was seemingly, it seems like a very serious thing that they dealt with. So can you kind of yeah. help us understand that aspect of what took place? We're shepherds, and if it, how can we claim to shepherd people if we can't protect them or we're refusing to protect them? And so this task force came, came through and did an investigation and found about 800 cases across the 47,000 churches over a 20-year period. So a little bit of perspective there. All of it bad. There were real victims and there were real hurts. And so with that in mind, they identified some areas, some systems within the Southern Baptist Convention as a whole. Not the individual churches, but the things like the executive committees and the International Mission Board and North American Mission Board that, that could beef up how to protect people from these kinds of things. And so there were recommendations that they put forward to the messengers on how to handle those. Um, and there were good recommendations. And, and one of them is to create a database. Now, I, I can speak to this because when I was pastoring down south, I, I was aware of an incident that happened in Palm Beach County, which was a little bit farther south than where I was, where a pastor had come in and he sexually abused somebody. And it turned out he had done this at another church. And there was, no, uh, there was no way of finding out that he had done this before he jumped from church to church. 
And so this database is now going to be put in a place that if this happens, you could put their name on this database. So churches that are looking for pastors can check this database to see if somebody's name is in there. Part of the issue was uh, whether you've been convicted criminally or you've been accused and there's a preponderance of the evidence. That's the term that they used. Preponderance of the evidence is a legal term, and it really means like 51% likely that you did. So you have criminal cases and you have civil cases. Criminal cases is beyond all reasonable doubt, so the majority. And the civil cases, it's preponderance of the evidence, which is 51%. So they said they wanted people that, that may not have been convicted, but it looks like through investigations by outside organizations that it's more likely than not that they actually did this that they wanted their name to be put into this database. So while that, that's a good idea, the thing that the messengers did was put this control in place that said, well, we can do any of these recommendations that you want as long as we maintain our autonomy as churches and that this does not create a level of bureaucracy that controls how we do things here as a church. We can still handle things the way we handle them. And as a church here, we handle them well. Yes. We've got a, a qualified and trained security team that helps to keep, keep us safe here. We have background checks for kids. We control access to the children's wings when there's activities going on. You know, we, we have multiple controls in place to do that. The last thing we want is a level of bureaucracy to kind of tell us how to do that. Well, I felt that way, and apparently the messengers that were there, 8,100 messengers that were there said, we can put these recommendations in. That only applies to you guys that are in Nashville running the entities, uh, not us and the individual churches. But we're going to voluntarily have this database in place so we can voluntarily put people's names on there on an as-needed basis. Now, the details are still kind of being worked on a little bit about that, but... Yeah, I think but it's good they were serious about it. I mean, Indeed. it's something that a good church should be way serious about way before it gets to that. And yeah, I think yeah. that's what we've done. We have these layers of protection here right? Um, that start Multiple from the talk, start just in our security alone or safety from parking lot to front doors to inside right. of our service. Right. But then when you go down the hall and we begin to see the children's ministry, there's a whole kinds of layers yeah. that protect our children. Some very overt and some very subtle that you yes. don't always see with your eyes. Right but now. on the, you know, when you start to look at 47,000 churches in rural areas, in foreign countries, Limited budgets. some of those things, they need help with this because That's right. children have been abused. That's we right. know it. And yes, it's not as great as they exaggerated it to be. Um, but yet one child harm is, is too much. And so it's, I, I think that was encouraging, as you guys shared that, that they are taking steps to do it, although, again, we remain autonomous That's of right. how we uh, put And it was actually together. a good thing that they maintained that autonomy, because one disappointing thing about it is that when the messenger said we need to have a task force to come together, an outside agency, a third party, come in and do this investigation, they ended up choosing a secular company, not a Christian company which is a little disheartening to me. Why are we airing out our dirty laundry to the world? We should do that in-house. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And so when you deal with secular companies, you're going to have secular ideals that come about. And, and so that was a little discouraging, but the, the, the beauty of it is that we put that control of autonomy in place so that a secular company doesn't make recommendations that are binding upon churches. Um, so that, that, was, that was helpful. Good. All right, I want to get to this whole liberal word, okay? Because I think this is what goes around, and this is what I hear from friends who don't understand, and I didn't understand as well. Um, so I, I guess we, as we talk through this, we phrased it in this question, and I, and I want Paul and Brian, both of you guys, to weigh in uh, on this thought. So here's what gets put out on Twitter, and, and the conversations of people haven't there, is this, this question. Is the SBC going, and here's the, the trigger word, liberal? Okay, so you both, I, I mean, and it's a good question, right? Yeah, it is. I wanna, we're you it know, is we're in this thing, we want to know, are we liberal and conservative? I mean, conservative mean we believe the Bible, and liberal mean we're kind of fudging on. What, so walk us through that, because I, I think that was one of the things that you guys said that really helped the rest of us elders, as we're help, as together we're making decisions about this. That was very helpful, so... Let's walk us through this. Paul, you start it and jump in. I think, I think there, you know, um, and even a helpful uh, uh, YouTube on that is uh, 
Tom Askell's uh, Sword and Towel talking from Founders Ministry with Tom Nettles. Tom Nettles is a guy, he's been in seminary teaching for a long, long time. And he did, uh, he was there during what we call the first, was the conservative resurgence. And so um, what happened was the, the Baptists at one point, especially in the 50s and 60s, started to go truly liberal. When we say liberal, if you're, if you're sticking to the definition that has been historical, what you mean is you deny the inerrancy of the gospel. You deny the inerrancy of the Bible. And this actually came from a bunch of Germans in the early 1900s, um, uh, German you know, uh, uh, theologians, quote, but higher criticism. Um, yeah, higher criticism. And so that is what happened. And you actually had people saying, that they actually put out a commentary series that was led by the Southern Baptist Convention that's now been taken away, but they talked about how Genesis is an actual factual. It is, it was more myths, but they had a good moral story to it, so it's in the Bible. And so they, they truly went liberal there, and you had the, for the first time a conservative resurgence where, where all of a sudden um, there was waking up in the churches that were around them like, well, that's not what we believe. And so it, it took 20 years, 20 years to do it. But they systematically voted and got them out. And so when you say, is Southern Baptist Convention going liberal, I would say if you're talking about the historical definition of liberal that they came out of in the 70s, I would say absolutely not. Every one of them affirms the inerrancy of the Bible. Every one of the seminary presidents affirms and has to affirm to, to remain there the inerrancy of the Bible. And so the, the question then becomes is some of these other issues that we have. And so we want to talk about it almost like politics, where you have liberal and conservative. But be careful about that, because really liberal, when we talk about it, really has to do with, is the Bible authoritative? Is the Bible inerrant? And, and yes, they, they believe that. Did you guys see that affirmed? Absolutely. Yeah, without question. Over and over. Without Absolutely. question. That this convention believes the inerrancy and fallibility of the Word of God. Every time like questions come up, you would be, I mean, and you can see it on the videos, you can see that scripture was used. This is why we do this, here's the scripture. This is why we do this, here's the scripture. And of course, everyone will talk about the inerrancy of the- The little tagline was, we have a book. We have a book. Yeah. We have a book. <laughs> so, and, and the book says this, so we're going to do this. Yeah. So, so yes, there, now, when you talk about 47,000 churches, okay, and you're going to have people who have different opinions. And i got to tell you, there's going to be some churches who would even say that this church is, quote, liberal because we don't believe in head coverings, which you haven't gotten to yet, but we don't have head coverings. <laughs> Chapter 11, we're coming. <laughs> and, and um, you know, and, and some of the things that we do, the way we dress in, in, in church and, and all of that, they would say, oh, they're going liberal. Well, no. Okay, and then there's other churches that we're like, well, you guys are kind of sliding towards things that we don't agree with. And so there's, yes, 47,000 churches, you're not locking step with all of them because they are so adamant, and, and I would say aggressively adamant of church autonomy. Okay, mm -hmm. and so, um, yes, there are disagreements. But, I mean, take the president right now. Okay, Bart Barber. Bart Barber, if you... The president of the SBC, not the president of the United <laughs> the States. That's a fun name. Bart Barber. <laughs> there there is a definition there. of liberalism. But, <laughs> yeah. but the president of the SBC. The president of the SBC, yeah. Bart Barber, okay, <laughs> he is actually a step closer to what we want in a president. Tom Maskell didn't win. We voted for Tom Maskell. I think he would have made a better president. That's my opinion. However, consider this. In 2018, when J.D. Greer was running for his first term, uh, Bart Barber was also someone who was being put out there as, as uh, also someone to be voted for. And Tom Askell has said, and he said it on a podcast just recently, I would have voted for Bart Barber. He is a man of integrity. And we differ on th some issues, but he is a man of integrity. He is a complementarian, okay, mm -hmm. in, the, in the pulpit, which was an issue that we had with Ed Litton. He was supposed uh, complementarian, though he let his wife teach from the, the stage. Okay, he, he falls a little bit closer to the issues that we want. 
So you have somebody, you know, we had J.D. Greer who, uh, even though he uh, believed in the doctrines of grace, which is great, um, and I think was one of the first people, there, there wasn't a lot at first that had that. So that was great, but, but he, you know, kind of fell into those, uh, like some of the woke issues and whatnot. And then we got at Lytton and we were like, wow, they're kind of going this way. And then um, now, Bart Barbie, even though uh, I think Tom Knox would have been better, he's not, He's a man of integrity, as I would say. So would you say that Lytton's poor view on complementarianism really got him removed? That some, one and plagiarism. And plagiarism. And plagiarism. <laughs> In case you don't know, Ed Lytton was the prior yeah. president. Ed Lytton was the president. Yeah. He came out, and some of his, actually, some of his messages, one of them was almost word for word from something that J.D. Greer had said before. <laughs> and then they went through, and they found like 46 messages of this guy who had talked basically from other people, and so everyone was like, what is going on? And people were calling for his removal. Well, the problem is in the SBC, there is no removal in the middle of the year. There's no mechanism for that because really you're just the president of the meeting. And then after that's done, you're kind of a figurehead like the Queen of England, but you really have no power. You just kind of, you, you nominate some people and, and you talk on Twitter a lot, okay? So, so there but was no mechanism the fact, to remove him. It's still the fact the messengers removed him. Well, it, and so they voted him out. So much so that he stepped down because I think he, he knew stepped down. he was done. Yeah. He, yeah. He's like, I will not run for re-election, right. and so that's why we had a, another. And, and the now. issue of plagiarism came up from the messengers throughout the whole. It's like every thing. other button press from a microphone. It was some somebody talking about plagiarism being bad. So one know? of the things so that he was so being slapped around. You have Robert's rules of order for a meeting that they go strictly by. And one of the things you can do <laughs> there's, there's 8,100 people there. You need some kind of order. <laughs> you can press a button um, that is point of order that's like an emergency stop. Because if they're out of order with something, they want to make sure they're not doing it out of order. So they will stop. And they did every time. And so some people know this, and they push this button, and it's like, well, what's out of order? Well, I want to speak about plagiarism. And it's like, well, that's not what we're doing right now, brother. So you, and then they would shut him down. And so then it's like, you won't let me talk. It's like, well, you, were, you, you specifically didn't follow the rules, and you were being Well, see, and that's the issue that gets, the, that's the sensationalism that gets out on social media. They wouldn't let us talk about these issues. They're trying to hide these issues. Well, no, you're... You were trying to air out your dirty laundry at all the wrong times when there were appropriate times to do that, and they chose not to do it during those times. Right. And, and so it's, it wasn't so much that they're trying to hide these issues or anything like that. It's just, guys, use some common sense. Do it at the right times. And even Tom Nettle said this year we dealt with issues that would usually take seven to ten years to deal with. We dealt with a whole bunch of issues that were brought to the floor. And so it was, yes, was it a, one of the most... Uh, Contest, not contested, but contentious type ones this year? Yes. But he actually took that and, and again, see the context of a man who, who was there with the SBC, was liberal, and watched the conservative resurgent. He said, I was encouraged because I saw churches speaking up now. And that was the biggest thing back in the 50s and 60s was nobody was speaking up. And so finally, churches started to go, what is going on? And we knew going out to California, it is expensive to go out there. Okay, everything, everything is expensive out there. Um, beautiful state, but ex expensive. So Liberal. this coming year, yeah. <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> they ruined it. But this coming year is in New Orleans, which again is kind of in the heart of the South. And so many more churches are gonna be able to get there. And so we're hoping that that's a good thing and hoping that, that you'll see more churches. We only had probably less than 2,000 of the 47,000 churches yeah. there. Think about that. If they estimate if we would have gotten six to 8,000 churches, we would run the board with them. Because when you talk to pastors of these churches, it is not what you see from, from necessarily the stage. Um, so, and even when you talk to, I mean, when you talk to people like Al Mohler, and you, he came out strong on so many issues this year. It was the Al Mohler of the 90s that I, mm. I was happy to see. Very energetic. And it yeah. was good. And so there's, there was glimmers, there was definitely hope and hopefully a changing of, of the tide there. Let me sum up something here there and then I want to ask you guys a final question and you'll speak on behalf of the elders a little bit here, but um, this is a conference. Yeah. It's got 47,000 churches that we believe affect the world for mostly good. Um, mission work, gospels, 
uh, conservative churches that hold to inerrancy, infallibility, authoritative scriptures. Uh, and so we're part of a conference. Um, but in no way do they affect us in what we do, say, preach, sing, believe in, in, in reality here. I, I am no, on Sunday morning, I'll stand behind this pulpit and I promise you, uh, my sermon was not handed down from a group of hierarchy that says you get a fax and here's your sermon you preach on Sunday, which right. many organizations do. Yes, um, We are completely autonomous, but we do believe that, that the SBC plays a significant role yeah. in the gospel around the world. And, uh, and to let that fail, at least at this point, for the, at this moment right now, would probably be wrong as we look at it because of the overwhelming, you guys there, personal eyewitnesses of it, saw the influx, the, the push from a very conservative, we're yes. holding to the Bible, we don't need to, you know, what is a woman, what is a pastor? Is it, come on, we're not that, the Bible's here. And right. they, so, so I think we came, you guys really encouraged us from that, and I, yeah. I really do appreciate that. So, so let me ask you some final questions, and then we'll, we'll pray and be done. And then if you need to talk to any of us, please come forward and talk with us. Um, I think maybe I answered part of this, but <laughs> you guys now, now say this. So, so why stay in, at least for this year? And the elders are making decisions yeah. year by year. Um, that's, that we're, not, we're not saying we're in for 10. We're, we're saying this year. Yeah. So why, why do that? For me, I would say because... A strong SBC helps us. A weak SBC makes more challenges for us as a church. And because of the way of the structure of the SBC, because we, they can't tell us what to do, but because we give designated funds, we can go to a meeting and tell them, this is what I want you to do, and this is the direction you want to go. We can influence an organization that influences 47,000 churches in the sense of, of putting out a, a, third of the, a third of the pastors, puts out you know, 5,000, whatever the number is, of missionaries, you, you have that ability. I, I put out a resolution on uh, queer theory, and we don't have to go through what that is, but it got published. It didn't get accepted, but it got published, so all these people can read through and go, what is this? I could stand at the microphone. I didn't just because it was my first year, and you know you got to figure out how to do everything a little bit. But you can stand at a microphone, push a button, and you can speak to their plus, you know, family members and whatnot, um, 10,000 people. I can speak to 10,000 people on the floor, tens of thousands of people on the internet, and, and tell them this is where we think we should go. And I can speak into their lives. Us as our church can speak into their lives, into their organization, and we can help do this. Again, the reason it went liberal in the 60s and 70s when you talk to Dr. Nettles is because nobody talked. Everybody just stayed silent. Everyone just, was yeah. just like... Too, just minded their own it business. Was that, that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was that, you know, we're not going to do anything. And then when it was like, wait, you know, and then it got really far, and then it took 20 years. Yeah. I don't want it to take 20 years again. Yeah. I want to stop it before then. And I think even though, you know, like, we're not going in as some, like, big you know, Hercules coming in and we're going to fix everything as Riverbend, but we're a voice yeah. that helps. And we are able to make connections with other like-minded churches. We've made connections with Tom Askell and his yes. church and founders. We made a, a connection with uh, somebody who um, Pastor Brian had pastored, Peter, his name was Peter, and we made a connection with Peter's pastor who now... Um, it was such an odd thing. He, he, he calls me and of course, he has this thick New York accent, but he's saying, you wouldn't happen to be at the Southern Baptist Convention, would you? I, I, I was his pastor down south, and I knew that after I had left, he had moved over to the West Coast, and, and we keep up every so often, but I said, I, I would. He said, you need to meet me over here by this hall. I'm with my pastor and other people at our church. I want you to meet. And so I met, we met Pastor Dan Sardinas of Northwest Baptist Church over in Bradenton, Florida. His church is in his, is, he's bringing his church to the doctrines of grace. Or he's leading them to, to eldership, very like-minded on doctrine. Mm. And we said, here's a prime example of how we can lock arms with like-minded churches within the Southern Baptist Convention to be a force and influence for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, just thinking some of the names that we're talking about, Tom Nettles, which Brian up there, we're good friends with Tom Nettles. He's been to our seminary, the Cornerstone Seminary out west. He's done classes for us out there. There are a lot of influential people, deep thinking, theological, conservative, yes. yes. going to die holding on to the scriptures, men that are a part of this. Yeah. Um, even as we are, are talking with Tom Askell about coming and doing some conferences here, we're working on that. These are, these are men that we run with, and we're running together to help year by year uh, hold on to this conference that we think has great influence on the world and uh, to do our part there. And I feel like, you know, for a while we had been fairly silent with the yeah. convention, not doing things that so we've awakened to, hey, what's going on? We see yeah. some movement in a direction that we don't want to move in, so let's now start using our voice. Let's start being that force for good. If the whole thing fell to part if SBC fell apart today, Riverbend is going to continue we to do what Riverbend does. Yeah, we, we I mean, keep following we, Christ. Yes. This is, this is really us, and I, I like the way you said that, not pridefully, but we're trying to do our part. Pastor Brian said when he first got here, he said, Scott, are we a part of the SBC? And I said, yeah, and I'm still kind of learning about it, and I'm trying to understand our role here. And he said, well, we probably should be a part of this or get out. You know, let's get involved. Let's, let's see if we can bring some influence to this. Or let's just get out. And I think that kind of started the ball rolling as we started looking at this and saying, are, you know, what are we? Are we in this? And then some of the current events that happened kind of shoved us in as we brought Tom Askell here. Tom really educated the elders on, on what they were doing, a very another like-minded church. Uh, and so I think that's really encouraged us. Yeah. Any other things you would want to add that would be helpful to the congregation here before we close this out? I mean, I, overall, yes. I mean, I'm not going to deny that there were things that happened that, that we didn't necessarily agree with. But overall, I came out very encouraged. Um, mm. and, and what's interesting to me is then to hear that that was one of the more contentious ones. And, and you hear, like, all these battles and whatnot going on. And I was like, well, if that's all they're talking about, then, then it's not the wild, wild west or some riot happening and things are burning on fire and people are... It wasn't that. Um, so... I. I Man, I think sometimes we got to take a step back and just go, okay, we're, we're having disagreements. There were disagreements in the early church, and, and they worked through them, and let's stay in it, and, and it's definitely worth it. For the price of us helping people for disaster relief, we get to speak into one of the largest conventions of believer, gatherings of believers that the world knows of and has one of the biggest impacts. And I, I'm like, okay, so I get to help people. I get to help the church both internationally and around America, and then we get to actually speak. I mean, that, that's a win-win right now for us to, to do that, and they can't affect us. And so, I don't know, I just yeah. think it's, I, I, was, I was encouraged. Yeah. We're holding all the cards here, so yeah, uh, we, <laughs> we're in the best of all situations with this. You know, we, we don't get, we don't get uh, told what to do, but we get to tell them what to do. And, and that's a good place to be, right? And, and I, I just agree with what you're saying. I think the, the benefit is still there. And what we saw, particularly from the messengers, was movement, albeit slow, movement in the right direction. And that's really what we want to see. And because it's slow, we, we take it slow. We're, we're going year by year uh, with that. Um, but overall, we were more encouraged than discouraged. Um, but, yeah. I'd, I'd caution people, too, about just because your side doesn't win, be careful. We are all still yeah. Christians and, and believers, and, and we got to be careful about that us versus them mentality. It's going to destroy and polarize, and yes, we have disagreements, and, and we'd like to see it go, but, but be careful, because that's what you kind of saw. Well, I didn't win this vote, we didn't win this vote, and one guy got on, did the point of order like he wasn't supposed to, and just told everyone that he was leaving. You know, it was like, okay because I didn't win. Was like, what, what does that mean? It's an all or nothing approach that can be pretty dangerous, right? So if, if you've gone from, from point A to point B, you still have to walk it back, you know, and to say, well, I get everything that I want or I'm out. You know, that's akin to like the child saying, well, I'm just going to pick up my toys and go away. Yeah. Instead of working toward change, sanctification is progressive, so why is not change within our institutions as well? It's progressive. You know, helping people see and 
They need people come alongside them too. Not that, that we're putting ourselves on some uh, elevated pedestal, but the point remains that, that we need to come alongside people, work to change, use their voice, and if we don't see movement in the right direction, like, like we saw this year, then we make that choice as, yeah. as elders. Yeah. And, and life goes on. I mean, the, the Lord is good to Riverbend Community Church, and he blesses his church. People are hearing the gospel. He's providing for our needs. Uh, and, and we just keep marching along, following after Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Let me just close with this. Um, and I think our church family here knows this. We are never going to cave on the scriptures. Amen. We're dying on that. Um, we don't care whatever any conference or anybody else does. We die on that hill. If, if this isn't God's word and interpret it literally, grammatically, and historically, and hold to that. We have men, we're sorrowful men. So we, we are not, I promise you, we're not leaving that no matter what anybody does. And uh, they'll drag us away before we take our hands off of this uh, book that we believe every jot and tittle is inspired by our God. Um, we, we do die on the hill of soteriology, of the doctrines of grace, that God and God alone grants faith that leads to repentance. Uh, we believe fully that it is God who saves. Man is dead entirely. Not kind of dead, a little bit dead. He's dead. And if it isn't for the grace of God, he's never awoken and, and, uh, and given birth and life. And so these are things we affirm. And we affirm them over and over. You hear it in the pulpit. Somebody told me today, they go, yeah, you say, you say it every week. <laughs> we hear it in your sermons. Because that's who we are. And, and I, I may be in the pulpit a little more, but you hear it from these other men when they stand in the pulpit. You spend time with an elder. They'll reaffirm these things. So our antennas are up and running all the time, right? Uh, but at the same time, we, see, we still see value of 47,000 churches and the effect it has on this world. And right now, our brothers came back, reported to us, and said, we think it's worthy to go another year. That's what we're doing. One more year, and we'll look at it again next year, and the next year after that, and the next year, and we'll, that's how we'll handle it. Um, but we are Riverbend Community Church with Jesus Christ as the head of this church. Not SBC, not the elders. Jesus Christ is the head of Riverbend Community Church. Now that's as autonomous as you can get, <laughs> and that's who we're going to be. And so I can assure you of that, those who maybe have some concerns. That's where we're at. If, if you hear anything else come out of me, tell these other eight guys to get me out. <laughs> and they will. Uh, because we're going to stand on this to our last breath. And, um, and so we really are grateful for what God is doing at Riverbend. We, we, are, we feel overwhelmed. We're humbled at the, how God is using this church and what he's doing uh, with us. And and we, we're, we keep asking God to show us what he's doing, and we ask God if we can join him. We're not telling God, oh God, we're doing this, come join us. We are constantly looking for what God is doing, and can we join him in, in this endeavor called the gospel ministry, uh, the planting of churches, the missionaries, the preaching of the word, all of those things contained in that. So what a joy to be in a church this way. And I, I really encourage you, um, let me say this very carefully, but with a lot of encouragement. I praise God every day for Riverbend. We as elders look at each other sometimes and say, have you ever seen this before, what God is doing? Mm -mm. <laughs> we, we, we are very encouraged. Now, are there some hard things going on? Absolutely, there's always hard things. We're a bunch of sinners all gathered in one group, right? We're going to have some issues. But we are very encouraged what we see God doing. Um, and we're, we're thankful and we're trying to stay up with him. And so uh, encourage your elders when you see them. Many of you do. We're very grateful for you. Uh, um, and encourage each other. And keep inviting people that are at a church that maybe doesn't believe these things that slide in a way. Invite them. Let them hear. Tell them to stay with us for six months and see if uh, God will uh, show them uh, what's going on here. So... Uh, thank you guys for going out. I know, you know, anytime we all travel, it's costly to our families and people, but thank you for going out to that. Um, I don't think 
we could have made as an educated decision as elders if you guys would not have come, gone and came back and reported to that. Church, thanks for your giving. That helps, helps us uh, send people, make those decisions. So, all right. Let me pray and thank the Lord, and then we'll be dismissed. We'll be down front if you want to come talk to us. Father in heaven, thank you for this gathering tonight. Thank you for particularly Brian and Paul and their wilderness, willing, willingness as two pastors to take time out of busy schedules, uh, family, uh, ministry obligations to go out to this conference uh, to report back an eyewitness, firsthand report, not a hearsay, and to help us have a little more confidence to make that decision to stand for another year, to remind us that there still is value there. there the majority of these churches hold to the sufficiency of scriptures and, and, and knocked down uh, very clearly things that were not biblical. And so we would not have known that, Lord, if they were not there. So thank you for that. Thank you for those who give, uh, that supply the funds for that to happen, Lord. But we do, Lord, as a church, ask that you would continue to have your son as the head of this church. Uh, we want to be under his lordship. We, we want to be directed and guided by him. We want to follow him, Lord, as we study the scriptures and your spirit leads us, Lord. So please cause the elders to stay very close to the word of God. Uh, keep us united as we study together and as we guide and direct and lead this church. Thank you for a membership here that is dedicated to the truth, that affirms our doctrinal statement that agrees with the direction of this church and supports it and listens and learns and is discipling all the wonderful things that you are doing here, Lord. We praise you for that. And we ask you to continue to bless this ministry for your glory, Lord. We do thank you for our involvement in our own mission work here with our missionaries that are around the world. May you continue to give us more as we, as we desire to plant more churches, to reach more of the nations, Lord. But we do thank you for this report, Lord. May you bless this. May you encourage those that have heard it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. Amen.